0: Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my podcast series on Noah and the ark. What you know about this story might actually be from Sunday school, or possibly, although I hope not, from a movie that came out in 2014 starring Russell Crowe called Noah. My desire is that these podcasts will shed some additional light on what we know and what we don't know about the man Noah and the Ark and the Great Flood. Some questions we'll look at will include, how did man get to a point where God actually wanted to destroy his creation? That's a great question. How long did man get to repent and change his ways before the flood? How did Noah build the ark? Was the flood a local flood or a global flood? How could Noah possibly get all those animals on the ark? How did he feed them? What about all the animal poop? Have they discovered remnants of the ark? Who was on the ark with Noah? And gosh, what lessons can we learn about God's grace and goodness from this story? And how can we apply these lessons today? Okay, that's a lot to cover. So let's get started. The flood story in the Bible takes up more Bible real estate than either the creation story or the story of the fall. Let's start this discovery by reviewing what we discussed in my Angels podcast about the possible explanation of the great corruption of man to a point where God felt there was no alternative than almost total extermination of an evil race. Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to start. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, "'I'll wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground.' For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In my Angels Among Us podcast, specifically the second one, we looked into possible meanings of the sons of God mentioned in this Bible passage and what happened that caused such a moral collapse. Now, there's some Bible scholars who say the sons of God were descendants of Seth. Recall that while Adam and Eve, of course, had many children, the three that are mentioned in the Bible specifically are Cain, Abel, and Seth. Okay, and the daughters of men, some Bible scholars say, were the descendants of Cain. And that these two groups intermarry, thus following what is echoed in the Old Testament and the New Testament, where corruption of family can spring from an unholy alliance of the marriage of believers, like sons of Seth were believers and the unbelievers would have been the daughters of Cain. Now, that is one position that's held by many scholars However, as we dig deeper, we acknowledged in my podcast that this interpretation is confusing since both lines of Seth and Cain and sons and daughters, and they had never been referred to in this way in any other place in the Bible. Sons of God in other parts of the Bible have always denoted an angelic order. Of beings created by God. Looking at other Bible texts, it seems possible that something extraordinary happened that could only be rectified by God ordering literally the entire extermination of an evil race. One explanation that we explored was that angelic beings, who in the New Testament in Jude, chapter 6, verse 7, are described as angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their home. Well, could this refer to these sons of God abandoning their home, coming down from heaven, and having sex with the daughters of men? thereby producing an evil race called the Nephilim. Nephilim actually means fallen ones. We looked at Second Peter chapter 2 verses four through five to give some support for this idea. He says, "For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So, whatever the case, either intermarriage of Seth and Cain's line, demonic angelic beings, or some other explanation yet uncovered, What's clear is that there was so much corruption on the earth that God gave mankind 120 years to repent. And where do we get that number? Well, we just read it in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. I quote, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Some had thought that this meant from this time on, no one would live beyond 120 years, but we know that's not the case because after the flood, people were still living a rather long time. Shem, who was 100 at the time and lived another 500 years. Peleg lived 464 years. Sheila, 433 years. Again, um, super long lifespans. For 12 generations after the flood, in fact, human longevity remained way higher than today. So we know this is not what God was referring to. There was not a limit of 120 years for man's lifetime. So what do we think the 120 years is actually referring to? It's that God's allowing the people of Noah's day 120 years to repent. His days will be 120 years. God's patient. He gives us time to turn back to him. 120 years might actually seem like a long time, but it's a lot longer than most of us will live, right? But in the end, time ran out and the floodwaters came and it was still only Noah and his family who were the only ones right with God. Isn't that sad? Can you even imagine? I know we think that things are bad now, but for a moment, think of what life must have been like during the time of Noah. Noah was living in a chaotic world so filled with people that had grown hostile towards God that there were only eight righteous people on the entire planet. Noah was chosen by God to carry out his plan for the earth. And at the end of this 120 years, Noah and his family were the only ones found with faith. How scary is that? Imagine being the only people on the planet who have faith. Well, what did Noah do during these 120 years that God gave mankind? Well, at some point, God gave him an ark to make. Looking at Noah's age before the ark was built and after the ark was built, and the ages of his children, and the fact that they were married when they entered the ark, biblical scholars estimate it took no more than 80 years to build the ark, perhaps more like 50 to 75 years. So what the Bible tells us is that... (laughs) Shortly after turning 500 years old, Noah became a father. Genesis 5.32 says that. Okay, imagine that. That's quite remarkable. So one of the things that Noah is doing during this 120 years is Noah's raising a family. And somewhere along the line, God told him to build an ark. Shortly after turning (laughs) the ripe young age of 600, Noah, along with his wife, his sons, and daughter-in-laws, entered the ark as God literally opened the floodgates. I watched commercials on TV for special powders you can add to drinks to make you strong and young-looking. What was Noah taking? He's around 600 years old when he enters the ark really makes you think. By the way, even before the flood, people appear to have lived a super long time. This is all in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years. In fact, Noah's grandfather was Methuselah. Does that mean anything to you? It's the oldest man mentioned in the Bible. 969 years old. And then there's Noah's dad, a spring chicken, he lived to be 777 years. That was Lamech. The Bible tells us how many people were on board the ark. Do you know how many? Now, please note that if you saw the movie Noah, it was not biblically accurate. There was not a stowaway on board. In fact, there were eight on board. Noah, his wife, his three sons, Ham, Shem, Japheth, and their wives. But it does not tell us how many people were involved in building the ark. Hmm, that's something to think about. Well, it won't be dogmatic on this point. It's consistent with God's word to believe that there were more than these eight people involved in the ark's construction. I mean, a possibility, I mean, Noah's 500 years old, is that he hired people to help him build the ark. Actually seems reasonable to assume this. And think about it. What a wonderful way for Noah to evangelize by having others help build this ark in the middle of a desert. I actually don't know where Noah was living when he built the ark, but it was somewhere in the Middle East. So most likely in the middle of a desert on dry land, pretty far from the nearest water source. So we can well imagine that Noah was most likely uh, ridiculed for his obedience to God because, remember, the world's filled with godless people with no faith. If Noah had lived today, he probably would have been a trending topic and subject to many memes. It doesn't take much to imagine the headlines, Crazy man builds boat on dry land in middle of desert to wait for supposed flood. Man says God told him how to build a boat and to load it with animals. Yes, but Noah obeyed God against the odds. Because of the ark, the earth was repopulated after the flood. This was God's undeniable grace for Noah, but... There was another essential ingredient to this miracle the obedience of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the famous Hall of Faith chapter, Noah's name is mentioned, says, By faith, Noah. When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Saved by faith. Noah was saved by the grace of God. However, that doesn't mean that Noah didn't have to do something. He had to do what God said. Do you think Noah would have been saved had he not built the ark? No, Noah was saved by faith. That is, he obeyed God in the building of the ark and all was made possible by the grace of God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 14, we have the beginning of the instructions of how God told Noah to build the ark. God commanded Noah to build an ark of gopher wood, G O F E R, or some people spell it G O P H E R, like the animal. Interestingly, this word is used nowhere else in Scripture. And it's not a Hebrew word. Now, many people mistakenly attribute this type of wood to the animal by the name, but it's totally unrelated. Also, many modern translations of the Bible say cypress, which is actually what I thought it said. And when my NIV Bible said this, but the King James version says gopher wood. Now, some theologians, including the Jewish encyclopedia have considered whether this was a translation that was maybe of Babylonian origin. Some other suggestions have been maybe it's a tree that's no longer in existence or related to kopher, K-O-P-H-E-R, which refers to the pitch and would include pine, cedar, fir, ebony, and other woods. It's possible the term gopher was used to explain the method used to prepare the wood. Could mean planed wood or square beams. We just don't know. God, in his instructions, required Noah to cover the ark with pitch, which is tar, inside and out. Super smart to waterproof it. And then to build rooms or compartments within it. The boat also included a side door and three decks, upper, middle, and lower. God also commanded Noah to build a one-cubit suhar into the ark, possibly describing a window extending around the ship below the roofline or a roof overhang. The wood would have been able to float easily. The boat didn't need to be fast, It just needed to float. Now, this was not a small boat. It would require a strong foundation. Many scientists believe it could have weighed as much as the Titanic. But unlike the Titanic, it had to be watertight. And this is where the pitch comes in. Pitch is a black, glue-like substance which is left behind When tar is heated, it solidifies and hardens. The pitch could have come from pine trees. By sealing the ark with the pitch, the boat would be watertight and able to float even with the weight of Noah's family and, well, more importantly, all the animals. How big was Noah's ark? Well, the Bible says... 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Now, a cubit, that's the length (laughs) from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. Huh. Well, it seems then that the length varied in ancient Egypt, Israel, and Babylon. Uh, Yeah, depending on the size of the person. In fact, the variance could be anywhere from 17 and a half inches to 20 and a half inches. Now, most likely Noah's cubit was what we call the royal cubit, about 19 to 20 inches. Biblical scholars are making this assumption because Solomon used this length to build the temple. So it's believed that Noah may have used this length as well, which means that the ark may have been bigger than what we traditionally thought because most books use the shorter cubit instead of the royal cubit. Okay, get ready. This means the ark may have been 510 feet long, 50 feet high, which is taller than a four-story building, and longer than one and a half football fields, or enough room on the roof for three space shuttles, nose to tail. The cargo space inside would have been the equivalent of 450 semi-trucks. Okay, we're gonna do some quick math here. Each semi-truck can hold about 250 sheep. So you can visualize that this means On the inside, it could hold 112,500 sheep. But we know it held much more than sheep. In fact, how many animals did Moses have on the ark? None. It was Noah, not Moses. Were you listening? (laughs) Here's a cool fact. The ark is near the maximum size known for a wooden vessel to still be able to float. God knows what he's doing. Now, scientists have determined that an arc of the massive size depicted in Genesis could carry a large number of animals and supplies. They say that its rectangular box-like shape would yield a vessel that honestly would be seaworthy and very difficult to capsize. So researchers believe there might have been around 7,000 animals on the ark, both land and air animals. The Bible says two of every kind. Now this is interesting, not two of every species, which probably means family. One way to think of it is if two animals can breed together, they're the same kind. And within kind, of course, there can be an incredible variety, like think dogs. So the Bible states two of each kind. Chihuahua, great Dane. Genesis chapter 7 verse 15 says the ark was limited to land animals that had the breath of life. So this probably excluded fish and insects and other invertebrates. Only living creatures were to be brought on the ark. That excludes plants, bacteria, fungi. So the only plants that were brought on the ark were used for food. All the plants were presumably left outside. As I said, it also excluded fish and other aquatic organisms because Noah didn't need to build an aquarium because there's going to be water for them. Noah's job was to care only for flying creatures and air-breathing land animals. Bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground that will be kept alive. So Noah's busy building the ark, but Here's the good news. He didn't need to go search for animals. The Bible tells us, and this is so cool, God brought the animals to Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 20 says, Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. How did God do this? Not sure. We also know that most animals possess the ability to sense danger and move to a place of safety. So, you know, it's entirely possible the animals sensed that something bad was going to happen. How did Noah fit all the animals on the ark? Well, again, according to the Bible, we said the ark had three floors. So, as scientists have said, it's actually not... Difficult to show that there was plenty of room for 7,000 to 16,000 animals based on the fact that they required approximately the same floor space as animals in like a farm. The vast majority of the creatures, the birds, the reptiles, and the mammals were probably small. The Bible doesn't say that they were adults. It's reasonable to think that they weren't. So, realistically, the largest would then maybe only weigh a couple hundred pounds. What's more, many could have been housed in groups, which then would further reduce the amount of space required. And as divine specifications go, Moses offered more elaborate details about the construction of the tabernacle, which... Suggest this might be the abridged version of Noah's complete instructions. But on the other hand, consider how wise Noah must have been after having lived several centuries. The instructions that we have recorded in Genesis may honestly have been all he needed to be told, or maybe God gave him a visual blueprint. Super cool. We don't really know. But it doesn't seem likely that Noah had ever seen a large ark before. But in any case, 500 cubits is a big ship, not some whimsical houseboat with giraffe necks sticking out of it. Now, scripture gives no clue about the shape of Noah's ark beyond its proportions, which we've talked about. And the scale of Noah's ark is huge yet, scientists say, remarkably realistic when compared to the largest wooden ships in history. And the proportions are even more amazing because they're just like modern cargo ships. Now, Noah's Ark was the focus of a major scientific study in 1993, at the World Class Ship Research Center in South Korea. And this scientist named Dr. Hong compared 12 hulls of different proportions to see if they could discover which design was the most practical. And I kind of look at this as like a pie contest where you have all these pies lined up and see whose is the best. Basically, with these 12 ship designs lined up, no whole shape was found to be significantly better than the biblical design in the book of Genesis. In fact, the ark's careful balance is lost if the proportions are modifying, which means that God's proportions that he gave to Noah are perfect. The study confirmed that this ark could handle waves as high as a hundred feet. Don't know if there were waves when this flood occurred, but Noah was ready. As we end today's lesson, let's ask ourselves a few questions. First, would we be as bold as Noah to warn our generation of God's judgment, even at the risk of being mocked and seeming foolish? In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So the converse is true. God's wisdom is foolishness to this world. In next week's podcast, we'll continue to explore the story of Noah and dig into the questions of whether Noah even knew what rain was. And again, was this a local or a global event? I'd like to leave you with this one thought. The story of Noah demonstrates to us that God never leaves mankind without a witness to himself. Thousands of years ago, it was Noah. Today, is it you? Does your life reflect a witness to the love of Christ? You know, the ark represents faith in Christ. It was a deliberate act for Noah to build the ark and to enter into it without fully understanding what God was asking him to do. Christ is our ark. When we trust him, even if we don't fully understand, we're safe from judgment. Outside of the ark, outside of Christ, inevitable destruction. Remember Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is our comfort in the storm. Get in the ark, because there may be rough seas ahead. Have a blessed day.